And then these two nurses who live in, in Emporia and that, like they were just there doing that on their own time. It's crazy. It was so, it was so amazing. Like they just were going around and picking people up that were having issues. Um, and so, you know, it was like, I really had to rely on, on the, the kindness of some strangers, but, um, you know, that is another thing like, dude, you're so far out. And then logistically business wise, like, how do you even monitor someone that's 120 miles away from like the headquarters? Right. You know, that's, that's really, it's kind of, it'll be interesting because gravel is gravel's young. Um, you know, gravel racing, gravel, the sport of gravel. I think people have been riding bikes on gravel forever, but like this gravel racing right now is really sexy. People are loving it. Um, it's super obtainable. Events are popping up everywhere, but that's some good and some bad. And like big brands are throwing money at it. Some good, some bad. Um, it'll be interesting to see where gravel will be in a couple years. Um, you know, if it gets super corporate, if it is already too corporate, cause I think it like even three years ago, it was kind of like, you know, the, the punk of the biking, like some, some road cyclists were going to gravel cause there was some, there was big money involved and like big purses. And so they jumped and it was really neat and sexy. And now it's like, okay, is this cool? Is this not cool? Like, what are they going to do? You know, this is, these next two years are kind of going to define the sport, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not super optimistic about it, to be honest, um, because of, of UCI trying to come in and then, you know, the, the, I mean, dude, there's 20, 30 people that are making a full-time living off of being a gravel racer. Yeah. And the, the talent of these guys is so dumb. I mean, it is just like ridiculous how fast these guys are. And so, uh, I like the idea of breaking it up into like an age group type of thing. Um, you know, but then there's this really cool thing about you get to line up next to the pros and you can feel like you can't go play basketball with LeBron James. That's the coolest you know? part about that. But, th but that's really neat. Like you get to line up with these guys that are and gals that are just crushing. And so you can feel just how strong they are and like what it really takes. But, uh, the bigger the event, then the higher the costs, the bigger, the risk, the more expensive it becomes, the less they can offer. And so I think that you need to go more away from what lifetime is doing, which is like trying to make these epic, huge events that are open to everyone. Like those should be a little bit more, invite only or private like or qualify like you have to qualify to get there uh because then it's a better experience for those people because when you're like a a back of the pack average joe and you go to unbound or crusher and the crusher or the, these big bwr um man you kind of get left behind right like the aid stations are all designed for the front guys the course is designed for the front guys all the media is only around the front guys so if you are you know 10th to last you get to the aid station there's no water there's no food you know what i mean like you're like what is what is this you get to places where there were crowds for the front guys but now there's nothing you know and then your experience is so shitty 
And then you go online, you're like, hey, did anyone else have a shitty experience? But then all of the people with a platform and a voice all go, no, it was awesome. And it's like, well, they're not lying, but their experience was totally different. You know, and I remember one for sure. I remember a BWR year, uh, I think it was the COVID year. So they did it late and it was really, really hot. And uh, I had no issue with it. I liked the heat and I was going fast enough to where I got to the aid stations when I needed them. But if you were going one mile an hour average slower, you were smoked, right? Because you had no water and then you were running out of water. Then you, then you got to the aid station, but all the good stuff was gone. And I remember just like, man, these people paid 250 bucks for this and they don't get an aid station. Like that's, that's gnarly. So how do we keep it a little smaller, a little more, you know, uh, profitable for the event promoter? Because then again, like how, when you try to have a really big event, and you try to do something really cool, then all the costs go way up. So then you need more people, but then the, the costs go up because you have more people and then you can't manage them. And yeah, so I think more events that are smaller would be the way forward for gravel. Yeah, I don't have faith in that. I don't say, yeah. I don't agree or don't disagree with you, but I just don't, I just know us as a culture uh, there's going to be the mega ones and they'll continue to do what they do. Uh, they'll pop up, they'll saturate the market beyond belief. I mean, look at Iron Man. I think at one point there were 12 Ironmans in North America and that was like, they opened, they sold out in an hour. There was like, it was, it meant something. Now you, there's like 70 Ironmans in North America right now. So like, yeah, I get it. But, like, you took away what it meant. You took away that, like, that, like, I don't know, urge or want. Or, like, if I want to go do Placid, I could probably, I don't know when Placid is. But, like, I could sign up and go. Versus, like, if you wanted to do Placid 10 years ago, like, you had to sign up that day, put it in your calendar. And, like, it it meant something. And I Uh think... um, I just think greed will win, unfortunately. Um, that's not to say there's not room for those small events, but on the big scale, I think I think greed greed wins, unfortunately. I don't know. Doesn't it doesn't have to, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I get, I think it's just a it, the the bigger the event. And so we I always try to think of how I can make events where the costs are really low so that then you're not taking on a huge risk. Like BWR gets a lot of shit, but how, I mean, it costs them half a million dollars to put that on in San Diego. Right. And so um, imagine you've spent 500 grand so people could ride and then people get mad at you because they didn't get an Uncrustable at an aid station. You know what (laughs) I mean? It's like, dude, you don't understand. I spent 500 grand so you could do this. And they're mad. So then it's sort of like it's this weird relationship of like the promoter not not getting it and the the, the attendees don't really get it. Um, But that's just too much. That's too it's too expensive to put on and to have something really good. And so, um, you know, it is what it is. I I really dig it. But I dig all forms of bikes like whatever it is. I want to do it. I think gravel Fondo's 
uh, or races are really special because you have an opportunity to race. And if that race doesn't go well, then you're just on a cool ride. Right. Uh, as of where road racing, you know, it's not that way. You don't go and do a road race and then you're like, get dropped and you think, Oh, I'm just going to keep riding. You know, like you're just done. Like that's right. it. It's over. Um, and so, you know, like Fondo's, uh, I really, really like, especially when they do like, um, a hammer format or a segment format where it's like, okay, the, the winner is going to come from the combined time of like three segments. And so you're not actually having to race from the gun to the finish. It's just like a, a couple little set, like, Hey, we're going to race this climb. We're going to race this section. Um, I, I did the oat route, uh, San Francisco, uh, back in 2018 and like, it was so cool. I mean, everyone is there racing full gas, but it was only like five segments a day. So then you would do the segment, then everyone would regroup. And then, so you had the camaraderie, you had, you know, you're riding in a great place, but then also you were just absolutely uncorking it. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know how I could know the answer. I just think, I think, I hope it'll change. I just don't know if it ever really will. But I think these, I think, I think these smaller events will start to pop up and they'll, they'll be successful, but I think the big ones will always exist. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you, I don't know. I mean, we've been on for two hours here, so I don't want to be on too, too long, but I want to talk suspension fork. You're like a big suspension fork guy in the gravel world huge yeah uh and when i i was just like anyone else we did uh the texas impossible route um it was uh in big bend national park and canyon wanted to promote that bike so they sent it so they so in the impossible routes is a really cool setup usually we don't run our own bikes we just run a demo bike from canyon completely murder the thing and then send it back perfect uh and so <laughs> jeremiah and i got these two bikes that showed up one was a rigid fork one was a suspension fork and me and jeremiah are always fighting over which bike we're gonna we get you know because like they usually send one in one price point and one in another um they very rarely send the two same bikes and so we always have to be like, well, you, you got the good one in France and okay, well, I got the good one in Washington. And so, uh, he, it was like his turn to take, take the pick. And he, he, he was like, I don't want suspension fork. Like that's so dumb. And I thought the same thing. I was like, this is so dumb. Why am I not just on a mountain bike? Like figure it out, uh, you know, but that thing is so amazing not only on downhill, like on the downhill, obviously it's going to be amazing, but it's better on the uphill because it, it keeps your bike planted on the ground. Um, and it's not suspension dampening, it's suspension. So there is like a lot of the stuff right now is, is vibration dampening. The bars kind of wiggle, the seat wiggles, <laughs> but it's not, it's not compression and rebound. Right. Like there's actual like a lot to suspension. Um, and so this gives you this performance aspect that you would never have ever thought. And so, um, I don't know, 10 hours into the ride, Jeremiah was like, I mean, we could switch anytime you want, <laughs> you know? And I was like, no way, dude. Like, I love this bike. And, 
and so I got hooked on it and man, I mean, it's been, it has been the absolute go-to. Uh, and, and so now some people are even running like way like mountain bike forks, right? Like proper suspension, uh, where it might be 80 mils of travel or hundred mils of travel. Like my, mine's only 30. Um, it's not a whole lot of travel, but it's, it, it is absolutely enough to make you be able to get really rowdy on it. And it's not that heavy. Um, and so, you know, if you were doing like, okay, like a BWR San Diego where there's so much road, it's so, it's really hard to justify it because it's like, well, I just need to, I need to be on a road bike and I'll just suffer through the dirt. But a lot of the other rides, like I did this big horn gravel in, in Texas or uh, in Colorado and a thousand percent, this bike was the way to go because they had like a couple mountain bike trails uh, and then some of the, it was like washboard dirt roads. And so it's just, I, I think it's, vibing. I think it's so funny. Like I, I love one. I love arguing in general, but I'm like, all right, yeah. Okay. We'll put a front fork on it. And then in two years, we'll slack out the front fork. And then in four years, we'll add rear suspension and then we'll just go mountain biking again. Like, it's just going to be like, and I get it. I get it. Like. It's just, it's funny when you hear like the 30 mil. Okay. That makes sense. And now it's like, oh, people are using 80, 100. And you're like, at what point are we just back to, like, if we put 26 inch tires on it, we're just back to like the original mountain bike. Yeah. And, and so some guys are running mountain bikes with drop bars. Right. Right. Like, so they're, they're just, that's what they're changing. They're not trying to take a road bike and put like mountain bike stuff on it. They're, they're actually you know, doing a full on mountain bike, it's just got drop bars. Uh, but there is, it's so hard to explain, but there's a feeling the road bike gives you geometry wise, uh, climbing and, and being arrow and all that, that just, you're, you're just going fast. And so, okay. Like in the rock cobbler video I did, um, it was like the cow path of death. Like it was just like in Bakersfield is beautiful. The number one comment is like, why are these idiots not running mountain bikes? And everyone's <laughs> like, just run a mountain bike. And it's like, okay, you can, but you're going to be slower, right? Chris, Christopher Blevins is a past world champion mountain biker. He was on a gravel bike. Everyone who's in the front is on a gravel bike. So it, it kind of depends on what you're wanting. Are you wanting to go fast or are you wanting to just be comfortable? And if, look, if you want to be comfortable, ride a full suspension downhill mountain bike everywhere because that is the most comfortable thing okay but it's not fast it's heavy it doesn't feel right and so when you're doing gravel racing where you might have 30 40 50 miles of pretty much flat road or or you know fast climbs you want that road bike feel and then when you get to you know some of the gnarly stuff like i i often run a dropper post dropper seat post and then the suspension fork I mean, yeah, you have best, the best of both worlds. I freaking love it. But man, I get so much shit on my bike setup. Like the Canyon grizzle with the one by, uh, and, and the mountain bike derailleur and the drop dropper post and the suspension. People are just like, I don't understand what this is. And I don't know how to talk shit to you. Yeah. It's a must. Like, yeah. You're like, I, and they get like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to say to this. 
Yeah, I'm just um, mad about it. Yeah, I'm just mad. <laughs> right? Yeah, like totally, it's totally. it's a mutt. It's literally it's like a it's a it's a you know it's a pound dog. It's just like this is what works for me, and that's. Well, and that's something, when I came into this industry, I came from moto, uh, I came from jujitsu. Um, so I didn't really come from like a road scene or, or anything like that, but I always thought it was so weird how people would get very angry if you did anything different. It's bizarre. I, I wrote a t-shirt one. I, I never saw anyone riding t-shirts and I went out and I wrote a, wrote in a t-shirt one day and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And then people are just like that's not what road biking is about. Like, that's so dumb. Like, where do you put your stuff? And I'm like, oh, well, I have cargo bibs. And they're like, what, what is that? You know, like, stupid. Uh, and then then I'm like, well, I don't want a two-by. Uh, I want all the gears when I want them, where I want them. And so then I went with the oval front ring, one-by, and then a 1152 in the rear on all my bikes, my road bike, my crit bike. Yeah. So my, my aero road has an 1152 in the rear and it's a 54 in the front. And people are like, that's so dumb. Why one by? And it's like, yeah, but it, you have every gear. This it's one bike, this one bike can go 40 miles an hour or it can go five miles an hour. And, and it's awesome. Um, and I'm not like telling you to go buy this system. It's a, it's a hag. It's like hacked together. You know, it's like, I can't tell you, hey, you got to be with SRAM because SRAM, like I have rotor components with a SRAM derailleur and SRAM chain. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just what works. Um, but I don't know, dude, do, do, do different things. You know what I yeah. mean? Like find whatever works for you and roll with it. I just, I love it. And I think, you know, I was thinking about you coming from Moto and I was like, man, the vegan Moto guy just doesn't. Like moto people are tough. That is a tough industry for people. I mean, roadies are tough, gravel, but like moto guys are, it is a hard group of individuals. <laughs> well, they're not very picky. Um, That's you know, true it's too. like, it, because you can kind of mask a lot. Like, like what is, what's the difference between tires and components on a motorcycle? Like it's. So like you have to be really, really good to like, I would argue that know, a little bit, but know what the, the difference, yes. right? Um, and so most people just like, it's got rubber on it. I'm going to go jump jumps. Right. You know? And so when you come over to road, it's like, well, I don't know. It's got rubber, but then people get so like, no, dude, you have to have this and it's got to be that. And like, you know, they get super into it, which I mean, you know, you look at some of the data and, and then you go, well, wait, this saves five Watts. That saves five Watts. This saves five. Like shit. I could just up my FTP by a hundred Watts by changing my all... chain lube. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have all these things that like make it better, but, um, I don't know. It's I mean, out of, it's it... out of control. Um, couple more questions for you here. Playlists or podcasts? Uh, yeah, podcasts for sure. I really like to learn via podcasts. So I listen to, uh, to all sorts of different podcasts. Um, I try to listen to things that I would never come in contact with. So like 99% invisible is an architecture podcast. Okay. Well, how am I ever like, I don't know any architects. <laughs> I'm not into architecture. Uh, but like they have a podcast about the perfect chair. And it's like, I, it's so interesting, right? They had a, they had a, a, a podcast about nails 
Like where to like nails that you hammer into wood? Like right. what's the history of nails? And I was captivated. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know anything about this, you know? Um, and so like uh, radio lab, um, you know, they, they've had some really, really good ones. Um, you know, just, yeah, just, just stuff that like is so outside of my world. That's what I want to listen to. I love it. Uh, fruits or vegetables. Yeah. Fruit for sure. I really like fruit, but, uh, it, it's, it's fruit is cold. Vegetables are hot. So it's kind of a different, Ooh. like I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't eat cold vegetables. That's gross. Uh, and okay. I wouldn't eat hot fruit. All right. You know what I mean? So like if, if I'm thirsty, I'm going to have grapes or if it's like hot outside, like strawberries. Um, but you know, like Brussels sprouts, dude, I murder some Brussels sprouts, like <laughs> roasted carrots. You know I mean? It's like a two totally, it's one savory, one sweet, one's hot, one's cold. Like it, you know, both. You're making these questions, these simple questions difficult here. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't care. Uh, text or call. Okay. I am such a phone guy. Like, call, like I will never respond to any text messages, but if you call me, I'll jump on the call right away. I, I don't want to. That's interesting. I, I mean, I, I know it, it's, it's convenient, but dude, I need to hear the inflection in your voice. I need you. I'm a very emotional deliver. Like when I deliver things, um, there's comedic points, like, uh, there's emotion. Like when I talk, there's a lot of inflection to it. I can't get that via text. And sometimes you could send, um, Keel and Peel have a skit about this. It's really funny where one guy's like, you know, it's, it's one guy and he goes, Hey man, do you want to hang out today or no? And in his head, he's just going, Hey, do you want to hang out today or no? And then the other guy reads it and he goes, you want to hang out? No. He's like, well, <laughs> what do you mean, dude? You know what I mean? And then like, he's hearing it one way and the other guy's hearing it the other way. And, and so like, yeah, I just call. I feel that. I feel that coffee or tea. Dude, coffee. What the fuck is tea? Some no, people you. say tea. I'm telling you, it's no a thing. Way. Uh, My it, wife is so into tea, uh, man. It's it's just brown, gross. I mean, I guess I guess coffee <laughs> so is also coffee. brown, gross water. But I I don't know, man. Yeah, co coffee for sure. I I am a coffee addict. Have you had coffee and lemonade yet? No. This is my new kick. It's just try it or don't. I don't know, but I'm just. I'm, I'm choosing this hill to die on. Get some cold brew and get some, like, strong, like, good lemonade. Get some ice and just mix them up. It's a little... Uh, so it's it's almost shandy. like an Arnold Palmer, but, but with, with coffee. coffee instead of tea. Yeah. Huh. It, it'll be better than you think it will. That's how I'm okay, going to sell here, it to you. Here's the thing is that I, uh, I all my coffee is black. Same. So, so I don't, I don't really ever add anything to my coffee. Um, I, I've never done that. Uh, one time my wife had ordered something and like, I got them mixed up and I took a drink of her, like blueberry, lavender, vanilla, whatever. And I was like, this is a milkshake. This isn't coffee. You know? And I, I uh, agree it, with you. Um, and then I was like, dude, if I got into this, I'm going to be taking on an extra 2000 calories a day. hundred percent. So, but I'm, but I'm telling you, it's, it, I'm a black coffee drinker. Um, it's just a little shandy. I mean, try it or don't, that's, yeah, it'll yeah. be okay. I won't be mad at you. Uh, 
I'll try it. Uh, if you could cook a meal for anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and what would you cook? Um, man. So, okay. The person I would want, um, okay. This is like, this is kind of a two thing, but like one, I would, I would want to do it with a person that's like, uh, has pearls of knowledge. Um, you know, Elon Musk, I think like if you had him captivated, uh, would be really amazing, but how could you actually do that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he would, he would be so in his mind that having, well, we're taking him, all that out of it. If it was just yeah, like okay, a hypothetical okay. world, like you could bring back Elvis, like it's, this is all make-believe land. So Elon Musk, but you've got him. He's captivated by the vegan cyclist. He cares about you. Yeah. I, I mean, or then I guess like, uh, you know, uh, to, to be honest, I would want to talk to whoever knows about aliens. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. So 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 give me give me like an old president who can divulge, you know, or like honestly, I, maybe even the the presidents don't know. Like there would be there's someone out there, someone deep in the CIA or like FBI, like someone knows some shit. That's the person I want to talk to. It's right? Tom uh, DeLong from Blank One Eighty Two. One hundred percent. Dude, that guy's insane. But he's he the had, alien I mean, guy. Some of his some of his stuff checks out, uh, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, I I think like an astronaut, um, you know, or 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 someone that has a life experience that's that I'll never be able to get to, and I'd really want to know like how that how how their experiences shaped their life, um, and then yes, yeah, so, someone who has information that I just cannot obtain. Uh, so I think that that would be, that would be really cool. And I would cook them, um, you know, I'd cook them. I have these bacon, walnut, br Brussels sprouts, all vegan, uh, that are amazing. I'd do smashed potatoes, which is like, it's, it's not mashed potatoes, uh, and it's not roasted potatoes, but you kind of like, you cut them in half, you cook them a little bit, you smash them down. So then it's like broil. Oh my goodness. It's so amazing. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, pr probably like some kind of pesto pasta, um, you know, that's just be really, really good. So, I mean, yeah, I I'd love to, I love cooking, um, a ton and, uh, and, and I love that experience. Like when you give someone a meal, especially when it's vegan and they're kind of like, how good this can, can this be? And then they're like, wait, what did you do to this? How did you make this broccoli taste good? And it's like salt, salt. It just you piles know? of salt. Like, it, it, it's just not, it, but it's not even, it's not even anything crazy. I think a lot of people got used to their mom or their grandma making them frozen vegetables in the microwave with zero seasoning. I'm not eating that. That's disgusting. That would make me literally gag. Like steamed unseasoned broccoli makes me have a gag reflex. So I want, you know, I have this big iron cast iron wok, um, which is like, Dude, if you're not cooking with cast iron, you have to be. It's cheap. It's so easy to maintain. And there is a flavor you get from cast iron and a forgivingness to the cook. So like if you cook uh, in stainless steel, the, the, the window of raw to destroyed is so small. 
and so you have to be like on top of it all the time and, and i just don't see any advantage as if we're like cast iron it's like a slow heat um and so so it's it's really forgiving I like I it. I cooked them Brussels sprouts, smashed potatoes, and some sort of pasta, and I would want to know about aliens. I I love that. I, that is a that's an excellent response. It's the first time I've ever gotten a no name response, just a subject matter. Yeah. But I think it's fitting for this one because we don't know who. It could be Elon Musk, honestly. Like he could be the guy who know. I think he is an alien. Yeah, he could. There could definitely be some like hybrid going on, and you know, guys like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. You know, the, these guys that are just don't seem don't human. seem human. Um, but uh, but I feel like if Elon knew, he would put it out there. That's true. I feel like he, I feel like he would be a whistleblower about it. Uh, it, it and it, I mean, look, this is way off topic or whatever, but it is insane that the government is starting to disclose they've even changed the name from ufo to uap and they're like yeah this footage is real and and yeah we come in contact with them all the time it's like a common thing and, and no that one hasn't, cares that hasn't changed the world at all no <laughs> like one cares everyone, no <laughs> one cares it's so weird oh and, man and it's like it's such a trip because you would have thought that that would be such groundbreaking news no one um, cares but honestly the first like picture of an alien or like an interview with an alien it's gonna bomb it's not gonna it's gonna be like this happened and then you're gonna swipe to someone opening candy on tiktok yep and it's ugh, great can't wait can't wait <laughs> yeah, um yeah. The only thing we didn't talk about too much is the impossible route, which I think most people who know who you are know all about it. Um, can we, you just wrapped up season two, correct? Yep. Can we expect a season three? Yes. So season three is going to be a little bit different. Um, I've really tried to work on the business model of this because it's, it's super difficult. Uh, and so season one and two, Okay, we did Hawaii, and that was a uh, a pilot episode. And then I was able to get a deal with Canyon and a few other sponsors for um, for two seasons, essentially season one, and then and then we renewed for season two. But those deals were four episodes in one year, each episode being a different place, a different project, and they're very expensive. France cost us forty five grand without me getting paid. Right. That's just hard costs. And so, you know, how do you how do you sustain if we're going to do four impossible routes in the year? One, physically way too demanding. Like it's so difficult to do one, let alone four. Uh, and then all the other things are doing in life. And then how do you make money off of it? Because ad revenue is I had a guy. He goes, well, so what do you make like 20 grand an episode? And I was like, like five hundred dollars you know <laughs> like what do you add revenue bro there's no let me make 20 grand like there's no there's no way to really monetize it like we get sponsors ad revenue is garbage uh and so we did sell to outside tv uh both season one and two and they put it on direct tv um that's really the only place that we made any sort of money uh and so when you when you factor out how much time it takes me to do these 
I'm making about 75 cents an hour. Hell you know? yeah. So, you know, like, dude, we're not, we're not, we're not balling. So season three needs to be different. And our plan is to do one impossible route a year, but it's epically huge. And then I create multiple episodes around that one project so that we can release, say, four, five, six, maybe seven episodes of this one project. Um, but it would be way multi-day. So in August, we're heading to Bolivia and we're going to ride from the Amazon jungle over the Andes to the ocean. Uh, part of this goes up the death road um, and it goes to like one of the highest points accessible by bike on the planet, which is like 18,200 feet. Um, so that's going to be probably a six day adventure. It will cost a lot, but let's say it costs us 50 grand. Well, that's the only one we're doing in the year. So now our budget can be, you know, we don't need 150 grand just to, just to get them done. Um, and so if we were able to say, get a hundred thousand dollars budget for the year, we still release the same amount of episodes or more. Right. Uh, and then the workload is just way less. So then I would release them like every Monday for like five Mondays. And so then it's, it's kind of, now I can tell more of a story because I can't really go more than two hours. Right. right? Sometimes like it's easier just, to consume, easier to digest it, when it's in parts. For, for sure. And so then you can, like, if I did 30 to 40 minute episodes, you know, the total length of time that the story can consume is, is more, but then we might actually get more views, uh, be better for the algorithm. We also, all this energy goes into it. And then you put it out there for like a two or three day little hype fest. And then people are like, cool. We saw it. What's next. Right. It's like, Oh geez, dude. Like that. You don't, this took me 300 hours to create. Yeah. It <laughs> creates know, a little more, you know, one while you're releasing it, it creates just action on your channel in general. Um, you know, people might go there for an episode. It's not out yet. And then they consume something else. Um, yeah. but it's also just, you keep them hooked for five weeks. Right. And then you can, you can build off that momentum. And so potentially someone doesn't see it until week five. And then they go, wait, this is episode five of five. Oh, cool. I'll go back. You know, right. uh, but the, the, I've had a lot of people go, you know, I've only seen two of your impossible routes. I, I didn't even know you had any more. And it's like, oh man, like how do I how do I market that better? So so yeah, so uh Bolivia is um is is the next one. And uh and so then we can focus on one big project in the year. And um I, I think that's gonna be the better way to go. Uh hopefully we can actually make some money off of the thing. I I, I honestly thought I was gonna sell it to like Netflix and you know get millions of dollars in in production budget it's just not it's hard it's didn't, uh it didn't yeah didn't happen and like the other thing is is some of the streaming platforms they give you this sheet like this is what they're looking for and they they want they want an episode that's between 10 and 15 minutes so they want a whole season of like 10 to 20 episodes right they want the episodes to be between 10 and 15 minutes and then you have areas 
to inflate with ads. So they want different sectors. So they want to be able to do uh, like a car manufacturer. Then they want to be able to do a clothing manufacturer. They want to be able to do some sort of something in the food industry. And so they, they just have like, you have, to, you have to cover these five different sectors inside of a 10 to 15 minute episode. Where's the story? It's gone. You know what I mean? Like I roll up in a Ford and I'm like, I really like my Ford and I get on my bike and I go, but first I need this drink. And then we ride one minute and then it's like, oh man, I better put on my alpaca socks. You know, it's just like, dude, <laughs> just, what is this? You know, there's just no time for story. And I, I don't, I am not, not into it, man. It's hard. Um, so, well, but it's, it's very rewarding. The impossible route thing, like I said before, it's insane. It's the most, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And, um, I, I, regardless of whatever future I have, those are experiences that cannot be taken away. And I'm so proud of the films that I put out. Like I can't, I, I will never look back and be like, man, I, I, I regret doing this. But if they were all filled with ads and they were short and, and I listened to what everyone else thought I should do with them, then I would have regrets. I would have so much regrets. And not, not to talk shit, but Jeremiah and I had a blowout fight around the France project because he wanted me to change that thing so much. He wanted me to cut 45 minutes out of it. And he was getting pressure uh, from you know a sponsor being like, well, no one wants to watch an hour and 30 minute film, you know, make it shorter. And it's like, but dude, that's you, not like, the project. That's not no. the, <laughs> no. And so then it was, it was really hard to, to go through that. But then, um, I stuck to my guns and then, I mean, France is probably the best one that I've done. So, uh, it was, you know, I, I proved my, my vision. Correct. Yeah, well, I'm excited for season three. I admittedly have not watched all of them, but they're all in my queue. Um, so I'll get through all of them eventually. I try. It is hard to watch an hour and a half. It's great. But like if I watch them, I want to I want to watch them. I don't want to I don't want to watch them. You know, like I don't have my phone in my hand, like half watching. So it's for, for sure. Um, I yeah, do that's that. where like trainers, like a lot of people get on the trainer and they'll watch the whole thing. Uh, yeah, you think I'm getting so on a trainer? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hopefully I'm getting back on my bike. I think I'm cleared to go again, so I'm back. So now I gotta get my own impossible route. So we'll see what happens here. Right on, right on. Man. Um thank you. This is two and a half hours, so I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. I feel like we could talk for five hours, so maybe you know, maybe post trip I'll I'll bring you back on in late August, early September and you can spill some beans about it. <laughs> totally. Well, I'm, I'm flying out uh, Wednesday to go try to defend the national championship for ultra distance, which is in Oregon. It's 502 miles. It's 32,000 feet of climbing. So it's actually an Everest Rome is what it's called. Like, uh, you know, there's all these categories, categorizations for Everesting. And if you do an Everest in a loop and never hit the same climb again, uh, yeah, that's called an Everest Rome. So um, it's going to be really warm. The West coast is getting hit hard. Like, uh, in Fresno, the town kind of near me, it was projecting 120 degree weather on uh, Saturday and Sunday. So, oof. um, but in Oregon, it's going to be like 95 to, to 98, um, which, uh, which 
creates a, a new level of difficulty because, you know, over the course records, 29 hours, like how can you refuel your body uh, when you're sweating so much and you're like, now you have a volume issue, like how much water you need versus how many calories you need. And so, uh, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's, it's, this is my jam. Um, defending my, my champ. Wife, yeah. I mean, I've thought about this Strava title for a year and I, I you know, it's going to be call me Mr. Two time. And, uh, <laughs> like, so in my head, like it's just pinging over and over and over. And I, I have to make that Strava title. And so no matter what difficulty I get in during this, which there's definitely going to be, there are going to be points where I want to quit. That's a given. But then I just go back to, uh, that's the Strava title I want to make. I don't want to make, <laughs> I failed again, you know, or something. So Ugh. Mr. Two time. Well, Mr. Two time. I hope <laughs> I wish you the best. Um, I, I can't say I want to be there because I don't. Uh, I it's one of those situations where I would say I love that for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Five hundred miles is something I never want to do on my bike in under a week. So I'm glad that you are uh, doing dude, it. I don't usually do five hundred <laughs> miles in a week. Like usually I'm like two hundred to three hundred, maybe four hundred miles in a week. Like that's a big week for me. So five hundred and two miles in. Oh, I mean, it's two days, I guess. We we start Saturday and morning, half. and I'll, I'll I'll end Sunday afternoon. Um, but I'll be uh, I'll be streaming it on uh, Instagram. Um, we you know we'll be able to do a lot of uh, content there. So, anyways, man, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for thank you me talk for hours. Yeah, this is so. great. Anytime, dude. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks.